Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to a yet another engrossing episode of the State of the Economy podcast. In this new episode we have with us Mr. Jagan Narayan Padmanabhan who is a senior director at Treesil Market Intelligence and Analytics and he is also the global head for transport logistics and mobility. Jagan has a strong domain expertise across real estate, economic and industrial corridors, industrial parks and special economic zones. He also has over 2 decades of consulting experience in business strategy, corporate and competitive strategy, commercial due diligence, project feasibility, new market entry as well as process and operations management. He holds a masters in business administration and has a mechanical engineering degree from the Mumbai University. Prior to joining Priesel, Jagan was consulting for Deloitte in India. Now today's podcast is on a key subject that will in times to come will decide whether India can become a large manufacturing nation on the lines of China. And a key requirement for India to realize this dream is the presence of a robust logistics network. Now, India's logistics costs are around 14 to 15 percent of its GDP, as against 8 percent in the US and around 10 percent in China. Now, the government aims to bring it down to 9 percent in the next few years, and a key to this will be the national highway network. Our national highways constitute a little over 2 percent of the total net road network in their country, but they carry around 40 percent of the total traffic. Today, we will discuss with Jagan whether India is getting it right in terms of expanding and modernizing its highways. Uh, Jagan, my first question to you is, in March 2014, India had around 97,830 kilometers of national highways, which now has expanded to 1.45 lakh kilometers as of March 2023. Uh, You know, has this expansion helped in bringing down the logistics costs? And also your thoughts on how the planning, formulation and implementation of policies in the road, transport and highway sector in the last nine years, has has it benefited, you know, India's position as an emerging economy, particularly its dreams of, you know, becoming a manufacturing hub. So in a sense, how close are we to that dream? Yeah, Rishi, an absolute pleasure to be here with you. Um, so I just kind of elaborate on the statistics that you talked about and then uh, take on each of those questions separately. So about 50,000 kilometers national highways has got added uh, in the last nine years, right? And um, the average pace of construction for this was about 12 kilometers per day in 2014. Uh, It went all the way up to 36 kilometers per day in 2021, and now it remains in the late 20s, bordering between uh, 29 to 30 kilometers uh, per day construction. So, uh, <clears throat> and if you were to see this, one of the ways or outcome of this is the India's improvement in the overall World Bank uh, Logistics Performance Index. The last nine years, how it has moved was in 2014, we were at number 54. And in 2023, we have come to 38. Um, so that's a good you know, reduction or a betterment in how we have fared. Um, and also the score has increased from 3.08 to 
to 3.4. Uh, the, the reason why I'm saying this is all these measures up to what you said, the goal to reduce <clears throat> the logistics cost from 13 to 14% to about 8%, which is there in the uh, developed countries. So why is all of this important is because at the end of the day, uh, logistics cost is, is uh, in a way, a non-value added cost added on to a particular product. And if you have to have the dreams of becoming, emerging as a manufacturing hub, then this needs to be kept in check as much as we can possibly, you know, be up to. So that's the reason uh, that we need to bring this cost down. While we, once we make this uh, shave off of about 500 bips in your logistics cost, mm -hmm. the margin increases significantly. The product becomes a lot more uh, uh, competitive in the international market. And a lot of import substitution can also happen internally. So multiple benefits accrue because of this shave off in the logistics cost. So, and, and hence, it's extremely imperative that we have a very robust transportation network, road being one of it that we are discussing today. Obviously, the rail and the sea part of it is an equally important role it will play in the overall bringing down of the logistics cost. The other important part which has happened, and in, in the second question that you had, has there been any policy change which has happened because of which this kind of a build-out has happened, is uh, we have moved significantly in the, in the highway sector part to a hybrid annuity mode of award of contract. That means the market risk is taken out from the table and the private sector is focused on execution of the project on the identified stretch. And that has worked miracles for us in, in India, and hence that has led to this addition of about 50,000 kilometers in the last nine years or so. The other important pertinent point why we're speaking so much about roads is approximately about 70% of the goods traffic is through roads. And hence, having a very efficient road it becomes imperative for, for a faster, safer, and also cost-competitive way of transporting of these goods. I think all of this has, in a way, led to, in, in terms of the World Bank Logistics Performance Index, uh, getting improved by uh, close to 16-odd ranks from 54 to 38. And yes, I strongly believe if, if this is the way that we go across, then uh, that we, we do stand a great chance of uh, being a powerhouse in the manufacturing sector. I spoke with a lot of trucking companies, uh, medium and uh, large ones. Uh, one point that uh, some of them has raised is that if the tolls become a pay, uh, you pay per kilometer basis. Right now we pay for a stretch and the government, uh, the uh, Ministry of Road Transport and Highways on the Mumbai Nagpur Expressway, I think there's an experiment a pilot going on where uh, you can pay per kilometer basis. Do you think a scheme like this will further, you know, be a shot in the arm for our logistics sector? It could obviously help the logistics sector. The, the, if you dissect it further on, the average lead distance for 
person who goes by a road the freight transport yeah. would be at about 300 to 350 kilometers 350 kilometers would be the kind of lead distance that means anything above that uh, rail becomes competitive and at about 500 odd kilometers rail becomes cheaper than road yeah. okay uh, so if so for longer lead distance, this may not really make much of a difference. What I mean to say is either it is a 350 or 360. Yeah. If you're going to be doing on a per kilometer basis, that may not make much of an impact. But where it could really make an impact is for shorter hauls, where the finished goods, where you have a pro having a more up and spoke kind of a model, where it has transported itself all of these 350 kilometers and then it needs to go for a 10 kilometer, 20 kilometer delivery, but it is being charged for the entire 45 to 50 kilometer. Then it, it really starts to pinch and that adds on to the logistics cost. And who are those people who would get really impacted by this last mile uh, part of it are probably the MSME and, and traders and so on and so forth. And their margin pressures will increase significantly uh, because they are paying on a full road length basis and they could benefit significantly if it is brought on to on a particular per kilometer basis. Um, so that's how I, I, we were able to kind of see this whole, you know, part of it. And obviously when you do it on a per kilometer basis, mm -hmm. transparency is significantly higher and even the usage can increase significantly because you are, it's like a pay per use for the kilometers that you are going to be doing. So the usage can also increase and move more traffic can flow through the national highway rather than them taking an alternate through a state highway or any other uh, district roads, which would have been the case just now. That's a great summarizing of the pay-per-use model. Uh, Jagan, the second question was again on the highway networks. And this time, uh, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the fiscal years 2021-22 uh, uh, and 2022-23, the last two financial years, we've fallen short of our construction targets. Uh, now, uh, do you feel this is a cause of worry? Not really is the simple answer. I'll just give some statistics to it so that we understand the context of why I'm saying it may not be of much worry. If you see the construction targets, which are an achievement kind of stuff, uh, for FY22 was 12,731, achievement was 10,457. For FY23, 12,500 and achievement was close to 11,000 kilometers. Mm -hmm. So we are short off by about 10 odd percent. Yeah. But the context also we have to see is FY19, 20, 22 and 23, barring 21, yeah. the construction run rate has been hovering between 10,000 to 11,000 kilometers per year yeah. and so the 22 figure and the 23 figure in that context gels well with the average which has happening before that period and FY21 was a bit of a outlier primarily because um, there was for whatever the, the whole COVID part of it and hence the ability to construct was far higher all of that happened and um, hence there was a uh, leg up in terms of construction in FY21 figure. To summarize, I don't see that this is a major reason for cause of concern. We have been tracking this you know, 10,000 to 11,000 kilometers as the pace of construction and we are 
you know, going steady in that number. The other one important aspect, and at least for the last 18 odd months, that we need to keep in mind is the rising of the input costs, uh, like the bitumen and steel, uh, and hence that has had some level of impact on the construction. Overall, nothing to worry much, but these are the other aspects which needs to be kind of kept in mind. So in FY22-23, Nahai constructed around 4,882 kilometers of national highways and out of which Andhra Pradesh received the highest share of number of projects at around 32. And they made up for around 16% of the total value of projects awarded. And besides Andhra Pradesh, uh, Bihar, UP, Jharkhand and Telangana were the other top gainers that uh, made up for the bulk of them and together these five states accounted for more than half of the projects awarded last, in the last financial year. Do you see if there is a particular reasoning behind, you know, focus on these five states? Um, so I am still maintaining that we are not taking a view that it is being focused on particular states for the simple reason as you started the whole conversation. Yeah. We have built out close to 50,000 kilometers in the last nine years or so, mm-hmm. uh, right? So by just sheer mathematics, a division will tell you that it is closer to about 5,000 kilometers uh, or above on a yearly basis, which has got constructed and on screen and increasing uh, by the year. So uh, uniformly and, and by practical approach as well, Today, if we were to go as we are in India and as Indian citizens traveling across the country, the road network has uniformly got better across the country. I wouldn't, I'm sure all the listeners will also concur with my view that there is no disparity in the way the roads are there from one state to another state or one region or one particular place. A couple of other aspects is that many a time, the, the whole national highways also there are greenfield highways that comes across and there are brownfield means a national highway happens from a state highway being handed over to the NHAI for it to get broadened because it would have uh, reached a certain level of traffic uh, at the state highway and then they, they, the state authorities that the state government gives it to the central government through NHAI for them to be built out as NH projects. So that is one part to be kept in mind, and each of the states would have uh, had prioritized and give it into, given it to NHA for build out. The other one on on greenfield part of it, uh, the government's focus has been to build out key projects in the PM Gati Shakti National Master Plan, yeah. uh, which has come across in the last uh, twenty four months or so. There have been about twenty two greenfield expressway. Um, then there are, you know, about uh, 23 other key infrastructure projects, so on and so forth. So I think uh, the way that this is being put across and the reason and, and the and the context of all of these greenfield expressways and the road projects which are going to be coming up is focused more towards how do we get the last mile connectivity, infrastructure connectivity improved. Uh, the economic nodes getting activated, uh, so an integrated planning can come across. So I think these have been some of the guiding principles through which much of the road construction, either FI23 or before or going forward, will be the way I think this is going to be uh, looked at. 
In railways, the railway has identified 32 critical projects for evacuating coal in the eastern part of the country. Right. And those projects are at various stages. The significance of this project is that it will, you know, further, you know, fast track the lifting and, you know, transportation of coal as we'll have more rail tracks. So yeah. is there a similar reasoning also involved with AP, Bihar or UP or Jharkhand where, you know, for instance, UP, there's the Bundelkhand Expressway is there, then then there's this defense corridor coming. So there's a whole network of roads which are interlinking and connecting each other, thereby, you know, uh, uh, making it more efficient connectivity. So is there such a reasoning behind, uh, you know, more projects in these days? That was uh, the essence of the question. Yeah, of course. As I said, the, the overall the overall thought process is more, uh, and, and uh, as you started off also, is more the manufacturing-led, bringing down the logistics cost, where do those where do those roads need to be coming up and running, and hence it will significantly lessen uh, the transit time. And, and of the states that you kind of mentioned, um, like an Andhra Pradesh has multiple ports um, in its uh, you know border, and hence the need for faster evacuation through those uh, ports. Because if you see the east coast. Versus the West Coast, uh, East Coast ports carry significantly lesser uh, number of container volumes, and and logistics cost has a direct impact depending upon the container volume. So, augmentation of these roads in the East Coast will really help well uh, in a evacuation of the cargo and also the impact import of these cargo. So. That way, let's say Uttar Pradesh, Andhra Pradesh, Bihar, all will, to an extent, tick mark because the access to the East Coast would be far higher. Jharkhand, primarily, again, Bihar. So it's all on the East Coast and, and Telangana is again part of it. So I think that uh, over the years, the West Coast, that is, let's say, Gujarat, Mumbai, Karnataka, all of these have developed and got good amount of road connectivity built out as we speak um, while the rest of it is now getting the facelift I would put across and, and then I'm just uh, reacting to what you said and that would be one of the reasons that that's been looked at and hence the port infrastructure can get uh, and for the port to thrive you need a good connectivity and roads is one of the primary uh, input for that other than the rail part of it so all of that adds up into the overall uh, award and the construction which is happening. Uh, you'd agree that finances are a key part in infrastructure projects. And, yeah. uh, and as we know that NHAI is quite leveraged and that government has a focus of monetizing its road assets. We've already yeah. had two such exercises in the last two financial years. And another is uh, being worked on and is being planned for the current financial year. Now, what are your thoughts on the, you know, the first two asset monetization exercises? What are your expectations for the third one? The asset monetization is an important agenda of the government and very well thought through and received well as well um, by the private sector for investment, specifically in the road sector. So it is a way of uh, the construction being done by the government and once it is constructed, significant amount of risk is off the table, then that asset gets bid out 
and private sector is more than happy to come and pay even a small premium and take over the asset from the government. Uh, take over in not literal sense that it is being ownership gets transferred. It's a concession which gets given out for a certain period of time. It could be 20 years, it could be 30 years. Uh, that is what happens in an asset monetization. Yeah. Two ways in which this has happened. One is a toll operate transfer model. And second is through an invit model. So both have got good responses um, by the investors. Now let's go through each of them one by one. Yeah. The toll operate transfer, that is the TOT, till now about 10 transactions have um, come through, 11 and 12, I think the bidding has happened, the final results are yet to come out. And uh, out of this, uh, about five of them have been successful, uh, um, or six have become successful, and uh, there was a split of 5A and 5A2. So uh, about another five wasn't uh, awarded. And that is 1, TOT 1, 3, 5A, 5A2, 5A2, 7 and 9. Uh, got awarded and uh, interestingly there was one more uh, which was done which was through the state government which is which is a narrow outer ring road so the summation of all of this uh, made them get garner close to 19000 crores for the nhai and about 7000 crores for the uh, hyderabad uh, you know metropolitan development authority which is the hnda and this is this is going to be the way forward for um, NHAI. And uh, the private sector have built significantly uh, aggressively as well uh, in all of these TOT transactions. Now, uh, on the invit side, two of them, invit phase one, phase two, uh, has transactions as happened and close to about 10,000 odd crores has got um, collected by the NHAI INVIT. And I understand the round three um, of NHAI INVIT and the round four is also going to be coming up. So in all, in all uh, very, very welcome move um, by the uh, you know, government of India to put these road assets and well received also by the private sector. Uh, in in garnering and securing these assets. And my sense is that this could be the way forward even for state government to put across their assets uh, once they build it, uh, build it out uh, to put it up for bidding for a particular concession, uh, either 20 years or 30 years for the private sector to then uh, operate these built assets. And um, close to, I think, about 10,000 crore has got mobilized for FY23 and um, in in terms of the TOT part of it. And um, so we will see that this will be the preferred way in which NHAI is going to monetize or raise finances other than their debt and uh, borrowings. Yeah. Another thing which uh, an aspect of national highways, uh, which which helps investors gauge the real monetization value of a road stretch is fast toll collections. 
Now yeah. we have online toll collections, the Fastag toll collections, which have been appreciating significantly since August 22, if you go by Cresel data. Um, during uh, March, April and May, we have seen robust collections. In fact, May volumes are, are, are I think, at an almost all-time high at 335 million. What are your thoughts on this trajectory and... Um, what do you think more can be done to, you know, further, uh, further, you know, monetize uh, uh, the collection systems? Fastag toll collections actually has grown by uh, 42% year on year uh, on a daily average basis in FY23. And the volumes have grown about 39% year on year uh, to about 3.4 billion. The Fastag toll collections stood at close to uh, rupees 541 billion in FY23, taking a daily average hashtag toll collection at about 1.5 billion uh, rupees, about close to 150 odd crores uh, in FY23, compared to 1.04 billion in FY22. That's the good part of it. Now, the penetration rate is now at close to 97%. That is over 6.9 crore fast tags have been issued to users. And hence, uh, we what that means is that only 3% of the people who are paying tolls in the national highway are using cash or other modes of payment other than the fast tag. So, to that extent, good and uh, good, very good penetration has already happened in the last 24 months. What can be done beyond 97% is left to everybody's guess. Yeah. Uh, the idea is 100, so but you will have only 3% to go from there on uh, to be achieved. And as you said, what what are the additional things that can happen from here is using the fast tag. What kind of intelligence can one bring in um, and then service the customers more efficiently? That could be looked at. The second part is also we talked about earlier in the podcast is can we then have it a bit more technologically advanced and remove and government has also been talking about it. Uh, Mr. has also been talking about it that we don't have really a toll plaza, but we are able to kind of, um, you know, uh, collect toll in in a without the toll plaza being there. Um, so um, through GPS and other modes of uh, collection uh, and recognizing the vehicle and collecting it. My sense is from context of how the overall vehicle population and uh, all of that, uh, it is still. Uh, some time away for a kind of an adoption of fast tag that has happened with like a 97% uh, adoption uh, may still be difficult for such technologies to come in the next 12 months or so. But beyond that, if we are able to enable many of these cars with GPS systems, then yes, that's something which is possible to happen in the future. So those are all in the future part of it. But other than that, um, what we could look at is only the big data, uh, analyzing this, and then we are able to predict uh, congestion a bit early on, develop that network more efficiently, 
there could be time there could be things that a particular road network has a lot more uh, car in comparison to a freight then develop those toll plazas in such a way that it becomes a lot more user friendly to that extent of these uh, passenger vehicles in comparison to commercial vehicles or if the commercial vehicle population is going to be significantly higher and we are able to get this data tracked in a very uh, scientific manner then you are able to develop highway amenities along the road those things can then be enabled the other important and and uh, good point of fastag is because it is a digital transactions and we are not we are now able to get this on more or less a real time basis the transparency of toll collection across india and across toll plazas has increased significantly what the, what this means is that we will be able to get finer pricing of what we talked before on the uh, asset monetization so the when a private party or a private investor is uh, bidding for these projects they want two three things they want data which is of at least 5 to 7 years uh, traction the second that is that it is a dependable data that they are able to get and that they are able to get it in a manner they would be able to dissect and uh, bisect it so fast and over a period of time will help in solving at least the second and the third the first is only a time dependent part of it so it will only get matured in the next 3 uh, to 4 years that you will be able to get fast and based data for close to 97% of the overall toll collected um and getting captured so i think all of this will help to summarize yes good adoption has happened we are at 97% absorption third yes this helps in providing better amenities to the users of the road uh the fourth being that it also helps in the overall asset monetization initiative of the government yeah so so this brings us to to the, the last part of our podcast and today no discussion in infrastructure is over without talking about the clean energy transition and bringing down pollution so and, and as you are aware the government is uh, very ambitious in terms of you know having uh, clean energy fuels uh, lng trucking or green hydrogen or even you know public charging stations on uh, national highways and there it has started identifying several stretches india is, is is sort of in the middle of a you know line where we are trying to match our aspirations with the kind of financing this is involved and the kind of resources that will be required to to bring uh, to you know for for all these efforts to materialize and and when we look at the whole gamut of this exercise it looks very ambitious right now and and hence the question to you what are your thoughts on this uh, drive for clean energy fuels and you know um, bringing lng trucking or green hydrogen uh, as a fuel or using public charging and uh, stations uh, because funding is an issue resources are an issue where do you think we are going uh, right now and where do you think uh, uh, where do you feel this this will lead us yeah so i think the overall part of it is the the theme is is decarbonization as the word suggests that it is decarbonization it is uh, it is it will take its own journey in 
going through from an ICE vehicle to any other cleaner mode of transportation. Uh, when I say as it, it will take its own journey, I'm talking about over the next uh, decade or so for it to transition. Uh, mind you, because any of these trucks that today you buy uh, can't be suddenly disposed of tomorrow. Uh, hence, over a period of time, only this transition can happen. Uh, and even today's uh, scrappage policy talks about a 15-year and above old vehicle. Uh, that's the kind of transition that we are looking at. It. So now coming to specific to this, yes, it is something that is needed. Uh, you have uh, uh, tick marked some of the relevant issues that this transition will face. A is the uh, is the testing of the technology part of it. B availability of those charging infrastructure at the right places for a right price. The C part of it is adoption by the existing OEM players of these technologies and having the necessary wherewithal to service uh, those trucks which comes across either as an LNG or in the uh, hydrogen part of it. For at least hydrogen to come through, it is still some time away. Uh, while we are having you know, initial success in this area, but for a large scale adoption and specifically in the freight part of it, it will take at least five years and above, um, if not more, for it to happen for simple reasons of cost economics does not support today the adoption of this particular one. And second is the safety aspect part of it. Um, and, and one leads to the other if you have to be completely safe, that adds to the cost of the vehicle as well to provide those kind of safety measures. Hence, um, it is more a midterm choice which will happen. Um, so in the shorter term, uh, the ICE engines will continue to be at least on the freight trucking part that I'm talking about. There's a larger adoption which has happened on the battery and the EV part of it in the two-wheelers and the three-wheelers. Um, but if you look at the light commercial vehicle and uh, heavy commercial vehicle, it is still some time away um, for the larger adoption of these new age technologies such as the hydrogen and the energy part of it. Former Royal Secretary Mr. Tarun Kapoor is now, right now an advisor to the Prime Minister. He headed a task force which, produ which has uh, uh, produced a roadmap for energy transition. Now, one of the key recommendations is that uh, uh, by 2027, we should at least phase out all the diesel buses in the million plus cities. First, one a uh, first look, it looks like a really ambitious because there's a huge cost involved to this. Uh, two questions to you, whether such an exercise is feasible, number one. Number two, uh, if we don't look at 2027 and we look at a later date, do you think uh, we will be able to uh, match those finances that are there? Because right now, um, uh, one example which I can give you is that there is a sort of uh, uh, the cop the OEMs are not really interested in this. And recently, there was a five thousand e-bus tender which which did not find any um, any bidders. And one of the reasons was that uh, 
OEMs have said either give us non-recourse financing or else it is very difficult to do because the state transport corporations are themselves clash trapped and are not no position to pay back. So, you know, there's a whole scenario where we have cash trapped state transport corporations and, and then we have a necessity to check the pollution, uh, check economic costs and, you know, uh, transform the and uh, transform the, um, the ecosystem towards more cleaner fuels. In, in light of all these things, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, is it feasible? It will take, or would it take a lot of effort to you know make it a success? Uh, so uh, this is a very deep question that you have uh, asked, and at multiple layers, it needs to be peeled. Um, so I think I'll, I'll start from saying that the um, for the entire transition to kind of happen is it's going to take a lot more time than 2027. A, B, uh, yes, you're saying you're right. Who is going to foot this bill? You know, it's easy to say that it, it needs to be phased out. Uh, at the end of the day, public transportation is the nerve of any particular city. So uh, it has to get replaced with uh, another, uh, I mean, if it is buses, then if you remove the diesel buses, it has to be, done either through an electric vehicle bus or any other uh, cleaner fuel bus. Um, so where is that and what, who's going to bear that cost? I can see some solutions arranging, emerging from that is the polluter pays, right? If there is going to be uh, another polluting industry, which is uh, there, then some level of taxation can come through for that particular part of it. The second is um, a lot of, um, you know, uh, making people sensitize them to use public mode of transportation and hence probably have some level of differential pricing, uh, even in these public transport. So that at the end of the day, you don't really pinch the uh, marginalized sector too much because it's easy to say that we will price the tickets appropriately and recover the cost. But at the end of the day, um, it is the general population which uses this public transportation and hence you cannot go uh, beyond a particular point and um, raise the ticket prices as well. So I think the second part is, is also to have a larger adoption of public uh, transportation or mode of public transportation and hence probably have an increased pricing for a select set of users. That's the second one that we could look at. The uh, third part of it is <clears throat> some level of cross-subsidization can happen or loans from multilateral institutions, but at the end of the day, these loans will also have to get repaid. Hence, um, the viability of that also needs to be looked across. So uh, maybe the state governments through some level of um, providing subsidy for at least the capex part of it, uh, not the opex one, but at least the capital expenditure part is something that can be looked at. Yes, you are right. Uh, the GCC model, uh, which was adopted for the initial uh, bid out of electric vehicle buses, uh, after that, there are not much takers now by the OEM because OEMs are feeling the pinch and they are not able to upfront uh, take over the capital expenditure and then wait for 
the OPEX to, in a way, uh, OPEX revenue to be uh, servicing the capital expenditure part of it, and that is not tying up for them. That would also mean that some level of guarantee, which would have to either be given at a central government level or a, of, a, of a particular entity of a nature which has a recourse uh, for these private sector operators to go back if in a particular time-bound manner those um, revenues are not given to them by the state transport undertaking. So I think there is multiple levels uh, under which we'll have to look at it. Uh, it won't be an easy cakewalk saying that everything has to get transitioned in a particular time period. Maybe you could look at uh, a certain set of uh, percentages to be achieved and then uh, you know build on those success and then overall close it out on a later period of time. Thank you so much, Jagan, for such an insightful and articulative talk on the, on the road sector and how it impacts the entire economy. 